Welcome everyone to the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. We've got two experts with us today, and we're going to talk about sales enablement in a really deep, meaningful way that the conversation really hasn't happened yet. There's so many changes that are happening in the industry, and we want to get right into that conversation. So we're going to first, we're going to start here with Mark McNamara. Now, Mark is the owner of the sales enablement group. And Mark consults with B2B companies on their sales enablement strategies. And Mark, I'm going to let you expand on that just a little bit here in a second. Secondly is Brian Cleary. And Brian is with Pitcher. Brian is a former CMO, a former uh, chief strategy officer, works heavily in the sales tech and MarTech industry. So, with that, Mark, maybe you could explain a little bit more about the clients and the work that you do before we get into the conversation here today, and then turn it on over to Brian. Thank you very much. I mean, um, Steve, what what I've what I've seen in the market over the last thirty years is um, a real evolution that hit me pretty hard uh, by the time we got to about 2013, 2015 where it was really becoming obvious that all the technology that was becoming available to people to get organized in sales enablement, I looked at that and, and really examined what the problem was and spent a lot of time you know, modifying and thinking about how to cut through the static that is increasing out of the marketplace to help companies understand that what they really need is a system, right? And I think what, what I hope to convey in, in this podcast for everybody is, you know, while we've while there's a lot of confusion out there and a lot of technology uh, and some of it very useful, I think that a lot of organizations haven't considered how to properly use it, right, to get the result that they want. So I established the enablement group as a way to help companies design that system so that they actually deliver on the promise of enablement that they've been hearing about for, you know, a long, long time. And enablement, by the way, is not just you know, uh, uh, managing a, a, a sales process. It's really about making sure that the, the sales rep is ready to do what you're asking them to do and giving them the toolkit of content and other elements that they know how to use in the context of day-to-day -day selling. And then you'll be able to get a lot better data as a result of that system because you're curating it and doing the right thing. So um, sorry to take a long time, but I think that's good background for people to understand where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brian, could you give us a little bit more of a background in your perspective on the industry? Yeah. Um, so we partner with the enablement group and, and Mark, uh, it's a strategic partner for, for us, because what we found is in the first generation sales enablement, a lot of people threw technology at the problem. And they did not have the prerequisites in place to make that technology successful. So they, many of them failed. Uh, I think there's a stat that, that uh, actually says about 75% of sales executives are disappointed with what they actually got uh, when they tried to, to implement in a 1.0. As we approach 2.0, um, now it's the reconciliation of the content to technology stack and it's actually the, the whole idea is bringing content into context. And so you see the importance of now 
the content has to be there, but it has to be put in the right context of how do you use it? When do you use it? With who do you use it? And very, very relevant to the different buyer personas that are part of that decision-making unit. So we become sort of the last mile or the conduit when you take all the good readiness that Mark is doing, and now you need to be able to make it technology ready in the field to be available in any channel that the seller might be interacting with the customer. And how do you attribute that, right? There's so much that, um, there's so much content, there's so much that has changed in the buyer's journey. It looks more like a kind of like a spaghetti chart versus this funnel that goes down like this. Mark, you were talking a little bit before we hit the record button here, and Brian, you were as well about that the buyer group has expanded, their sophistication has expanded, the number of people that are involved have expanded, yet we have to be able to make sense of that as companies that are going to help them along their journey. And I think that's where when you start about talk about content, that's where one of the things that we want to get to in this podcast is how important that is in the sales enablement process, mm -hmm. positioning the company as an advisor. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna now kind of ask you guys a key question, but here's the core context. There was a, a study that came out recently, and it showed that over 113,000 buyer-level intent insights from content that created those engagements, those insights, it directly correlated that more content consumption, more engagement led to more purchases. Mm -hmm. So tell me, Mark, maybe let's start it out, us out here. Talk to us a little bit about when you're creating a sales enablement system, how important, what are the things that are important? And what does that survey and that stat and the correlation between content, the insights and the purchase, what does that mean to you? Uh, uh, well, content is the number one thing, right? And I'm sure you appreciate that, Steve, being in the content business, right? I think if, if I can take it back a step before I fully answer that question, and there's an interesting analogy here. When I started in business back in 1985, right, I was a, I was a trainer. I was training salespeople at an insurance company, right? All this content, all this knowledge, right? We had librarians, right? We had people around the country who had nine libraries, sales libraries, where you could go and do research, okay, about your customer, right? And that became content. The librarian would give you that research, right? Today, we're expecting that the salesperson should be able to do that themselves because there's a multitude of content out on the internet. The problem is they don't know what content is good, what content is bad, right? And when you start to take the dynamic of what you just described, that we, we have to at these days use data, inputting data and exporting data to deliver content in meaningful packages that is situational to the need of the salesperson, right? Don't let them search, tell them what to use, okay? Don't, don't let them, 
don't provide them that content till you know they're ready on how to conduct themselves and use that content in the context of the buyer's journey. Why? You mentioned it's spaghetti. It's not a linear process anymore, right? So how do I jump into this journey and deliver what's appropriate to you, customer, because you're thinking about something, it's on your whiteboard, it's, it's, a, it's a dilemma that you may not even been thinking about, but now I have advice for you, okay? And I'm creating trust with you to move that needle along. And if that content is organized in such a way that we can, in essence, create an ontology, right? I know it's a big word. Yeah. Um, people don't know it. It, it. I call it to the customer, all roads lead to Rome, right? Meaning if you're in a situational sale, geography, industry, sub-industry, persona, right? Solution, start taking that stuff. What's the body of content where I am in that journey that I should be looking at and studying and learning or pushing or making available to my customer? You can see the data-driven piece of that and the ability to know what content starts to work, when, where, and how. So I'll stop there. Well, one, one thing that you said at the very beginning, you're talking about these librarians, right, in the right. old days. However, very new studies still show that Salespeople spend over a third of their time creating content. And we don't want them doing that. We don't want them doing that. We <laughs> no. put it for them. It's a, it's a curation process, Steve. Yes. Right? Yes. It, it, has, it has to be curated. And to Brian's point, I'll let Brian talk about this, or you, you might have a comment. The reason 75% of, of organizations are not satisfied with the results, they're not curating content appropriately. They're not, you don't want to make the salesperson go find it. You don't want to make the salesperson create it. It has to be there and it has to be served up. Call it what you want, a platter, a spoon. Here it is. Take this and use it. However, we don't want to kill the art, right? Salespeople don't want to think they're, they're just automatons. So here's a bunch of things and here's context. Okay. And here's what to do. This will ensure your success as a prospector and a deal maker. Now, Brian, give us that context there, right? I, well, I, from a CMO perspective, I can tell you that um, it isn't an issue of creating the content. It's an issue more around delivery. And the way that we are delivering today um, we're shoveling sand against the tide as a marketing organization because we deploy this in things like file sync and shares, right? It's in SharePoint, you know, it's in Teams, it's in OneDrive, G Drive, go find it. Now, put yourself in the perspective of the seller when they need access to that content. Oftentimes, they could be offline, they could be in a plane that they're preparing for a meeting that when they land, they need to get, they're gonna cab over and they don't have time to stop and do anything. And they don't have a Wi-Fi network that has enough bandwidth on a plane to be able to download enormous PowerPoint files. So they, they've got really an application challenge. The second thing is marketing creates an information architecture nightmare in the way that they design 
uh, the folders and file naming conventions. So sellers can't navigate through it and find what they need that's just very specific to the scenario that they're in. I use an analogy that when I need to remove a warning light on the dashboard of my car, I don't go to the user's manual. I go to YouTube and I search for just that and I get that information, just the amount of information that I need. I'm not able to surf through 250 different PowerPoint slides in a sales playbook. I just need the information that says, tell me what a chief information security officer at a multinational bank cares about. What are the market drivers? Connect the dots between that and what our solution does to enable that and drive real business outcome and value. Now, put it in this context. I need to do it in the moment of customer interaction. I need to be have the, the access to all of that content. And when I say content, it's actually packaged up and, and delivered in line to the selling process. And it includes sometimes more than just the marketing content. It could also be the tribal knowledge that lives in the selling organization. What are experts using? Uh, that has worked previously without me having to go in in Slack and ask people or in chatter and ask them what, what to use. It's delivered with the training that's just specific to the engagement that I, I'm facing in the next 10 minutes. And so if that gets curated and it's delivered and it's available regardless of what channel I'm in, whether I'm online or offline, now we've really empowered the seller with the content. So I think the last mile and, and the whole paradigm of, of, of search and find what they need is, is something that can really be solved by technology. But if you don't have the content to begin with, if you can't put it in the context of what the go-to-market is, you're going to fail. Let me, let me dumb this down for my mind a little bit, because I was just on, uh, on a podcast a few weeks ago with a uh, a four-time B2B CMO, two-time CRO. And you know what he does in order to make sure that the salespeople know of, just know of the content that marketing has created? He creates internal prizes and systems that make sure that, that it's just read, but they're just aware of it, right? So that seems like a decent way to go about this. But what you're talking about is, and Mark, what you went back to the very beginning, you said you're an advisor and you, you, you're a systemizer of enablement. Correct. What do you have to add to what Brian just said there in terms of not only just making sure that the right content's there, that the content's organized well, it's so easily accessible. It's packaged in the right way. This seems like a daunting task. It is a daunting. It is a daunting task because companies don't think about it the right way. One of the biggest problems I have when I go in and advise customers is that they're getting stuff from marketing, right? And it's it's pretty good. It isn't organized or abstracted in such a way that makes it easy to repackage and understand and use. That's a problem. Modularity is important, right? We call them knowledge objects or content objects. 
and it needs to be managed that way, not only today from a curation perspective, but also from an AI perspective, which is coming fast. I mean, the next phase is the, the sales guy is going to go, give me a package on uh, the learner the, uh, uh, opportunity. Boom. There's my content, right? But you have to teach the machine and you got to prepare for that. That's another, that's a podcast in and of itself. But I would tell you that the, the first element is, do they even have what they need to move the needle? And getting that out of the company is one of the hardest things to do. We have process that we come in and say, look, the first thing you need to think about is how are you going to measure that your enablement program is working, right? Secondly, what are the KPIs that you're going to use to measure that, all right? Now let's talk about how that's achieved, all right? And it isn't always just about technology, but let's add process to that, all right? So in the case of sales training and even salespeople, how do you get them to share and collaborate what they know, which will help everybody in the organization? That starts with a knowledge management and acquisition process. And it's often an easy way, okay, to create content, right? So you get it, you transcribe it. What does it need to be? Does it need to look better? Does it need to engage differently? Should it be in a different form, right? So that's first. Secondly, going back to the gentleman you spoke of and the gamification he's put into it, that's an important component. You got to give to get, right? And there's a number of ways to do that. We help companies look at technology as a facilitation and workflow process to keep that coming in, right? When that comes in, you got to teach them how to judge it. Is it any good? Part of that's feedback. Part of that is look at it and say, gone, right? It's a waste of time. Curate what's good, right? So you need, you need, uh, you need kind of a, a stakeholder committee at the top of all of it to contribute, but somebody has to be running the show, right? And then what happens is that you get into collection, you define process. It's kind of like an editorial. You're almost running like a newspaper, right? We did this, uh, I've done this for several companies where we go in and we find subject matter experts and we say, you are the section editors of the knowledge library. Right. And then the third element, engagement is so important because to the point that your other guest was making, build it, they don't necessarily come. Right. It's right. an internal, it's an internal campaign. And there's multiple ways you have to do that. Right. The machine can help, the technology can help, but it doesn't take away the human factor. Right. And, and so many companies I go in are producing tons of content and nobody's paying attention to it because it isn't being curated and explained. And well, what do I do with this? You know? And you um, know what happens when the company's creating all kinds of content and nobody's really using it. And then you ask sales, what do you think about, you know, the content marketing's producing? It's no good, right? They're not going to answer. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read a lot of it. I, I They're just going to say, I don't know. It's no good. I don't really use it. I have to create my own, right? So all of a sudden, there's this divide that happens between marketing and sales, mm -hmm. right? Where they should be a complete team together. Mm -hmm. 
not necessarily at the fault of marketing, not necessarily at the fault of sales, but just how that enablement process of them working together actually is orchestrated, which is what you guys are talking about here. That, that's a very good point. And I want to make one other point on what you said, and then we should hear from Brian, is that um, it, I've gone into companies where marketing is creating very good content and sales appreciates it, but for the wrong reason. They don't read it and they just send it. And it's at the wrong stage of the buyer's journey. And then they then that's when they start to believe the content's not good because they haven't taken the time to understand the context in which to use that content. So that's readiness. That's part of readiness. Marketing's enabling them with content and some other things, but they're not even oriented on how to do that well. And that and that's where we systemize that and get marketing and sales to come together. Brian, what, what would you say about that? I'd say if you're relying just on the feedback coming from the sales organization, you have bad data because to the sellers, uh, a trend is the last customer that they talk to, the last thing that they read, the last you know, prevailing wind that changed their perspective on something. What we need when we systematize this is the ability to measure utilization and measure that and compare and contrast that by correlating the data in the CRM system that shows lookalike profiling. That customer looks like this customer over here. What worked with them? I actually want to see the utilization of what the seller presented. I want to see the utilization of what the seller shared and whether the customer engaged. Because I think uh, on average, most B2B organizations uh, spend about 25% of their overall annual marketing budget on the development of content and sales tools. Well, if you're doing that and you can't explain to the CEO or the CFO what they're getting for that, what impacts that having on the sales funnel and on bookings, that's a tough conversation to have. So I think the utilization measurement and attribution abilities Really, the system can provide that, that insight and give you really good engagement data like marketers have at the top of the funnel when they're doing things through their email channels, whether they're doing things through uh, any of their digital advertising channels, what they're doing on their website. And as Mark said earlier, you know, oftentimes the sellers don't have a view into that either. So they may send a white paper and not even realize that the prospects already downloaded that. <laughs> so again, what we're demonstrating is, is that we don't understand where the customer is in their path to purchase, what they've engaged with. And so this measurement of engagement of content and the utilization of it in every channel of interaction becomes an a core uh, objective for marketers today, because that's the only way you can, you know, understand attribution. And, you know, that from one of our previous conversations, I wrote down a note and you said, CMOs don't ask your sales, uh, your sellers to be the analysts of customer engagement data. Mm. Right. So in marketing, we love to try to create lots of content. We love to throw it over the wall. We'd love to try to make it easily accessible, but then what content's working the, mo the, the best? 
at what level the buyer's journey and yeah, who's engaged and who hasn't and all of that data, right? In the same way that we shouldn't be asking sellers to create their own content, we shouldn't be asking sellers to analyze and understand how and when to use that content. Is that is that correct, Mark? What you're not in your head? What do you? Oh my my God! Yeah, I mean the end result of this is, and and the reason it's not happening efficiently with customers today is they ignore the content management. And what I mean by that is, for you to get the data that you want, you have a lot of data. First of all, you got CRM data, you got learning data, and learning data can be used to also analyze content usage and consumption and engagement, right? And there's some new things that are going on out there to, to track all content very, very differently than it's, than it's currently being tracked in many ways. But again, but the primary thing is, do you have a content strategy? And part of that content strategy is a management map. How are you categorizing this content? How do you tag it? And what do those things mean? And there's an, op an opportunity to create a vocabulary around the content and how it's used that will help decision makers see really, really fast how effective that content is and where is it most effective from a time frame, from a, a stage, from, a, from who wrote it. I mean, there's all kinds of metrics that you can drive, but quite simply, Am I getting the return on investment of my content? Content, And that what that return means is my sellers are doing better, either deal acceleration, right? Uh, meeting quota more, right? Uh, bigger deals, right? All the things, motherhood and apple pie. <laughs> so we want to feed that engine for the people who are making or thinking about that stuff. And again, we start to turn it into, you know, kind of a factory. We help them make this system so that it's a continuous loop. Did it work? Yes, no. We need something new. Create it. Did it work? Yes, no. We need something new. Create it. And that becomes, and, and when I say make something new, that could be content, that could be process, that could be tech. We're hitting them in the wrong way with tech, right? And the data is going to tell you all of that. It's the baseline, it's the foundation. And that's what we're moving towards where the machine will start making decisions for us in the next generation. But if we don't prepare for it now, we're gonna be in trouble, right? So we've, we've used the word content quite a bit in this mm -hmm. conversation here. Mm -hmm. And I prepped you guys beforehand. I always ask this question in every podcast that I do, right? So it's about the importance of content. Mm -hmm. not important at all. I'm going to ask you to put our actual rating on it. One, content, not important to the overall success of the company. 10, vital content, vital to the overall success of the company. Where would you guys rate content on that scale of one to 10? <laughs> Brian, you want to answer first and I'll, I'll come afterward. I think it's the oil of the machine. Uh, if, if you don't have the content, you can't meet the buyer's needs, informational needs, and you will get, <clears throat> you, you, you'll be out of the deal very quickly. I think content 
oftentimes needs to be better understood in all of its forms. And, and I think the challenge really is in um, making content available in the time frame of customer interaction, but it has to be, you know, again, content in and of itself as a file sitting in a system is dumb. If we could add value to that content, which is perspective, put, the, put it in context of how you use it, who you use it with, when you use it, why you use it, and then measure whether it actually had any impact on every stage in the customer journey. Um, I think then you get smart about, as a, as a mark, let's just say from the marketing operations perspective, they don't have enough resources or budget to satisfy all the content that could potentially be created. So they have to make decisions on what will work best. And so um, they do that when they are able to get the data to understand what works with the customer. And then they have the data to make the recommendation to the seller that this works well with the customer because we've seen it in engagement and interaction across multiple channels, but we've also seen it from modeling like profiles and what those opportunities utilized for content where we were successful. Let's replicate that behavior and be very suggestive to the rep. Mark, your rating and why? Uh, well, I'm gonna answer it a little differently. I would say that it's a 10 and it is the lifeblood. Content is the lifeblood of the modern organization from top to bottom. Communication is content, right? Learning is content, right? The things we say and ask people to do and train them on is all content. A lot of it resides up here in people's heads. They've got to codify it and distribute it. And they've got to distribute it in such a way that it doesn't confuse people, but it guides them to success. And the opportunity is there if they step back and take a breath, right? And otherwise they're gonna create a hot mess. And I've been in there, I've been there before, right? You'll create paralysis in some cases because it's too much and it's not organized well. So just to repeat the simple answer to the question, content's a 10, no question in my mind. I'd agree. In our last conversation, Mark, we, we started talking about what were the most important types of content. And you started talking about the importance of thought leadership content. Could you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, in an organization, outside of an organization, there's thought leadership everywhere. And um, it needs to be shared better. It, it, I mean, that's been my theme, right? But I'm going to come back to the fact that it has to be relevant and able to be applied right? So people can learn, right? The second thing is, is thought leadership isn't teaching, it's ideas, right? That's easy to capture. Turning it into something to create discipline is a second step, right? So here's thought leadership. How much do you have to embrace that? Or do you use that thought leadership from somebody else to get somebody else to think about it, right? This is all of that curative process where if you go out on the internet, you've got internal thought leadership and external thought leadership. It needs to come together, needs to be curated for all the purposes that you would use it, right? But we need experts to give us new ideas on how to behave, 
best practices that improve on the organization. And I believe people want to embrace that all the time. The problem is executing that is really hard. Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to go, this audience needs to see this and curate it. It's like, it's like a museum director, right? When you go in and look at an exhibit, it's very purposeful. He could choose from thousands of paintings or one artist or whatever it is, collect that and make an impact, engage, make an impact. And that's true in both directions. We talk about in our practice, there are four pillars of enablement and readiness, okay? It starts with, it starts with thought leadership, content, training, whatever you wanna call it at the rep level, and then carrying that forward and giving the same opportunity to the customer, right? That's curation. It's a major theme for me, and you have to systemize that curation in order to get the content to be as valuable as it, as it, as it is or should be. And Brian, we had talked about thought leadership and I think collectively it's a group we had talked about that sellers coming into the business today are hesitant. They, they, they don't want to be the typical stereotypical seller. They want to be a consultant. They want to be an advisor, right? They're, and that's what buyers want. And that relationship is fueled by thought leadership content, highly valuable content, content that helps them with their job and what they're doing. Could you maybe, Brian, kind of help close us out here on your perspective on that as a CMO, a strategist, the head of marketing at Pitcher, everything that we've been talking about here? Well, you we're operating in the age of the empowered B2B buyer. And they're incredibly knowledgeable. They're self-educated. If you don't change your approach, if you go and sell features and capability and go and present PowerPoint and stop me, customer, when you see something interesting, you will lose the audience fast. You will be out of the deal very quickly. And so I think most organizations aspirationally want to move to this value-based approach in selling that is, um, from a content standpoint, grounded in thought leadership. But what I find is, is that, let's say we have a great case study for banking industry, but if I'm going into a large multinational, I can't go in with a regional bank and be credible. So, so you can see how finite that is, is it's like, okay, I need to grab something immediately. Do, do we have a case study on, on, on a bank? Or I'm going in to talk to a, a corporate bank, an, an investment bank, an institutional bank, as opposed to a retail bank. And so it gets so fine grained to Mark's point about being able to get the information architecture right, the tag management and association of content bundles correctly. You're going in to see this particular customer that's over in EMEA. Well, make sure you use the EMEA price list because it's different than North America. So it's not something where, where um, the, the customer is going to expect an experience that's so relevant to them as a segment of one. And I think the opportunity here is to leverage really, you know, create great content but make sure it's put into the right context and the right cadence of when to use that. And I think that's where the Mark's whole idea of the systematic approach of this 
thing really comes into play. Mark, if we could, it's kind of, kind of like when you're watching a newscast and, and the newscaster says to the interviewee, we've got 20 seconds left in the segment. How do you wrap this up? <laughs> What's your last final thoughts for us on the whole conversation here? What should our takeaway be? Um, it's all about the content. It's all about the process of curating that content and then organizing it so it can be delivered in context to the users, both the sellers and the buyers. And how do how does the CMO and the say the CRO or head of sales work together in order to get that done? Uh, they agree, they come up with a charter and give somebody the authority to systemize the approach. There has to be where, it, it, my experience, and I know I have five seconds, every company I've gone into, you're the cheerleader and you're the magnet. I've, you've got the model, make them follow the model and it'll work. Well, guys, thank you very much. Uh, we could go on for hours. I know we could, uh, but your insights are very, very welcome here. Is it okay if I put a link, if somebody wants to talk to either of you uh, to Please. LinkedIn? That's a good way to get a hold of you. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Enjoyed being here. This was fun.